netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from fxguide.com. Thanks for joining us for this FX podcast. The FX podcast is where we talk one-on-one with top visual effects artists doing cutting-edge work. We dig deep into the technical side, advance the craft of visual effects, and pay respect to the hardworking people creating amazing work. Check out all of our podcasts at fxguide.com podcasts. And today we're going to talk about SIGGRAPH Asia and a paper being presented there. And I'm joined on the line by Mike Seymour. Mike, hey, hi, Jeff. You? How are you? Good, man. I'm good, thanks. Yeah. So, so this uh, is something you've been following for quite a while here, and it's yeah. a really cool update. I, I was watching the video earlier. And so this is uh, being presented at SIDGRAPH uh, in Japan, which is on uh, November 2nd to 5th. Or, yeah, I mean, that's when the conference is on, the exhibition's 3rd to 5th, um, at the Kobe Convention Center. And um, as you know, SIDGRAPH Asia is a smaller show, but always one that has some real treats. And the one that certainly seems to have captured the research community's imagination is this one called Real-Time Expression Transfer for Facial Reenactment. Um, and as you said, it, it's, uh, there's a video out, and we've got a link to it on the site, but it's, it, it's, it really is almost too good to be true, right? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I was stunned by the uh, the way that it just seems to grab on. I mean, even when it loses it, it jumps back so fast, and um, you know the um, the way that it does the head motion from the one to the other, regardless of what the two are doing, it's it's kind of frightening how fast it works. So let me just uh, set things up for people. So for a while now, there's been a, a school of research in terms of can we do real time face tracking. And can that lead to real-time puppeteering of a character? Now, there's some great work done out of China. We've tracked it over three years or so. There's great stuff done out of Disney Research Hub in real-time high-fidelity facial performance capture. And what normally happens with these presentations is that someone will have no markers on their face. They'll go in front of a video camera. And when they first did it, it would take like an hour to calibrate kind of thing. Um, and they would use this huge database of faces to kind of work out what was going on with your face, and then they would actually uh, track your face. And then they came back like a year later to SIDGRAPH, and they did it in real time, and we were all like, oh, my God, that's astounding. You know, you didn't have this huge hour-long calibration. And then various people have improved on the algorithms and done better stuff, but normally at the moment, uh, as I say, it ends up in two things. One, you end up with a cartoon character, that in real time is doing exactly what the person's face is. And I should say, Jeff, when I saw that at the last SIDGRAPH, there was a, a, a spontaneous round of applause at least three times during the presentation from the Chinese team. But, um, but then the other one you'll see in, in papers is that what is presented as the, uh, the research is this face tracking, just moving a mask that's overlaid on the face. So imagine a grey, ugly kind of... Um, mask, hockey mask, but it looks exactly like the person. And side by side, they've got really good uh, face tracking, and not only face tracking, but of course um, expression mimicry. Uh, so the digital face looks exactly like the uh, the normal face, albeit a grey plastic, untextured mask. But that isn't what this is. Do you want to describe mm-hmm. what what this one is? Yeah, I mean, it, it literally uh, taking one person's face with just a simple 
you know, like a, a what are they called? The um, sensors. The, there's an RGB, RGB D, 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 yeah. D camera, um, you know, like a bar, um, you know, and taking one person's speaking eyes, um, everything and translating it to the other person's face. Um, you know, he, he mentions in the video using it for real time translation um, type applications and stuff. But I mean, it's so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the kind of thing that really makes you question what's real and what's not. I mean, it reminds me of the old uh, Photoshop arguments. I mean, you guys talk about that in the podcast, too. Yeah, I mean, just so everyone understands, if Jeff and I were doing this and uh, Jeff was the source and I was the target, literally we'd both have cameras on each other. Uh, and so the machine would be tracking Jeff as the source's face. And literally, if Jeff smiles and I'm not, it would make my face look photorealistically like it's smiling. And you might say, well, that's impossible. And I'd say that's only one of several things that it does that's impossible. Yeah, <laughs> um, so true. And not only does it, like, like I'm literally, I'm sitting here blank-faced, Jeff is smiling, and you, you have me not only smiling, but it's not like a morph where it's just warping the video. It's actually 3D. Um, and if that meant that Jeff opened his mouth, and of course my mouth was closed, not a problem. It's going to show you inside my mouth with fake teeth and everything so that it really looks like my mouth uh, has opened up, even though, of course, I'm sitting there completely inert, not, not changing my expression. Jeff turns his head left and right, does whatever he wants to do, and I'm going to inherit his expressions over on my side of the equation. And this is the killer in real time. I mean, it is just extraordinary. It is, and, 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 and I just kept staring at the fact that the source and the target heads were completely different movement, too. Oh, yeah. And yet, it's working all that out, and, I mean, literally, the source could be nodding his head up, my head up and down, and your head would not be nodding, but yet the face would still be right, and, I mean, I'm sure there's limitations to that with stuff, but it's, it's, it's stunning, and the teeth thing sounds like a dodgy, weird thing, and I could see it maybe looking weird on someone with very identifiable teeth but in practice i didn't you know until he pointed it out i was kind of like what are they doing there how are they doing this and yeah it's pretty cool i mean there are several things working in their favor and we get into this in the interview um the team uh comprises of guys from germany um uh from uh nuremberg university from uh mac planck and one of the guys has moved over to stanford um, and it's a team that's obviously presenting the work, uh, though I speak to the lead researcher, who, by the way, embarrassingly it, for me personally, <laughs> is only a second-year PhD. He started this in his master's program, and uh, this is now uh, obviously his second-year PhD. And you'll hear me joke in the interview. I'm done. Well, I hope they just give him the bloody PhD now and say thanks for playing. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the thing about this is it really is worth seeing the video because you know we can describe it as much as we like, but you're still going to think, um, I don't know, uncanny valley it's going to look fake but because it's actually not doing a sort of 3d render of subsurface scattering type thing but more using photogrammetry um and applying this uh albedo texture to the face it does look completely real i mean it, it is absolutely looks completely real but it's uh, i guess if you like appropriately helped by the fact that it's designed to run and works well in a fairly neutral lighting environment you might have an office uh, and it, you'll hear us discuss this a lot. It's pretty much the sweet spot of if Jeff and I were doing a video conference right now uh, in our offices over Skype. Like that is the absolute sweet spot because we don't have super dramatic lighting. We don't have, um, we're not outside running around, um, obviously having you know massive variations in specular highlights caused by the sun. And also the other thing is it will fail 
if my hand moves in front of my face. So if I was to put my hand up and cross my face, it's going to lose tracking. I mean, it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not able yeah. to uh, to break the laws of physics. But that being said, um, I think you said a moment ago, it does recover super quickly once uh, that has happened. Yeah, I was kind of impressed with. Uh, I, uh, I was kind of thrilled that it failed so spectacularly when the hand went in front of the face. But then I was like, oh wait, how did it get back so fast? I mean, yeah. it really is amazing. There's one thing that you mentioned before. I just want to clarify it because you'll hear this in the interview. Um, I think you said that it, it takes over the facial expressions of and the eyes. That is actually the only thing it doesn't take over. So in this case of Jeff driving my face, while he could make me say anything I wanted, uh, make me uh, smile, look sad or whatever, it's actually my eyes that remain. Um, the eyes are my eyes always, though a digital hockey mask of the rest of my face is driven by whatever Jeff wants. It blends in around the eyes. So my eyelids, my actual eyes are mine. Um, and the the rest of my face is digitally controlled effectively by Jeff. But it's a small point, but it's important because yeah. the eyes are yeah, yeah. so key to uh, what's going on. But I gotta say, even with that, knowing that, it's still remarkably, you'd swear that the eyes were changing because the eyebrows are changing. Well, and the blend is very nice too. Mm. I mean, in real time, it's 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 really stunning yeah so we're really glad uh, to have this um if you are going to sidgraph asia of course uh, we totally recommend that you um, go and hear the talk in person if not go to um fx guide the main website of course and there's a link to the video which shows it but i jeff i think you'll agree with me if if somebody didn't tell you to look at the video you'd start watching it half looking at other things on your desktop and you'd be like what am i looking at there's nothing going on here until you kind of notice wait a second that guy on the left his video picture is completely different to his real picture but it's so perfect that you can just sort of look at it sort of glance at it and not actually see anything remarkable you go yep there are two guys are sitting there when is it going to start oh wait it's yeah. running and he is doing different things on the screen than his face is right beside it so yeah it's one of those things that it's almost so good that it needs a red flag to say no no have a look at what you're actually looking at here because uh this might uh, this might really surprise you Yes, I agree 100. percent I, I when you sent me the link, I, I, I was doing exactly that. I was kind of looking at it like, okay, what's this? And then I started to pay attention closer, and I was like, wow, this is something else. Yeah, and it's funny that one of the uh, applications I think for this, which they hadn't identified, I don't think until you'll hear in the interview. But I think this is the killer app myself. Is imagine you had this, and it's doing your own face, and it just makes you look younger. I mean, would I that not like that. be reason yes. enough to use this? Because if you can you know, track somebody's expression back to a face, make it my own face, but make it a prettier, you know, younger version of me. And like, no one would know the difference because it's you driving you. And I swear it would be, you know, like in a second, that would be uh, reason enough for people to adopt the tech. But anyway. Um, yes, it would be a real bad site. It would be a really bad uh, thing for dating sites, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think your point is totally valid. This is really raising the bar on um, exactly what you can get away with. Now, luckily at the moment, at this particular implementation, you can't take an arbitrary video of, say, President Obama and drive President Obama's face because, as I said, both participants in this have to have an RGBD camera, as in they have to have a camera aimed at them that is tracking their head uh, so that the transfer onto it can work. But nevertheless... Remarkable tech, a really good leap forward, uh, terrific guys, and big congratulations to them. But uh, let's pick up my interview now recorded uh, last night uh, into, uh, from Sydney to Germany. So again, thank you so much for joining us, because uh, when I found out I was going to be able to have a chance to talk to you, I was incredibly enthusiastic, because your research seems uh, really um, 
Really interesting. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I was wondering if I could I could walk through some of what you've done because um, it's really so advanced in its uh, implications that I think uh, it's actually kind of hard to get one's head around it. Um, obviously, yeah. there's been a lot of work that's been done in terms of real-time facial tracking in particular. And so I was wondering if mm -hmm. I could just start there and work our way out. <laughs> So there are a number of novel uh, contributions that you guys have made uh, in this area. But can we just start on the tracking for a second, leaving aside uh, the source and the target? You, you're basically tracking mm -hmm. both faces with RGBD cameras, right? Yes, that's right. And um, the novelty of our approach is that we have a dense tracking that uses both the depth sensor information and the color stream. So uh, we try to uh, um, synthesize a model that perfectly fits the input data pixel-wise, and that's uh, the novelty of our approach. So just at the tracking stage for a second, do you try and sort of fit a, ma a model of the face to help align the model to the, the perceived uh, angle of the track of the face, or are you just tracking off the eyebrows, the nose, the the uh, common um, facial elements that uh, are often tracked in an RGBD camera? So, uh, as I said, we have a really dense tracking. So, um, we try to uh, um, position the face uh, in the video so that um, every pixel of our synthetic image fits the input image. So, uh, we, we are based on a statistical face model that um, can alter the, the shape of uh, the model, uh, the, the person, and um, the statistical model also uh, has um, albedo informations. So, um, using uh, linear combinations of uh, the statistical information, you can um, synthesize new faces, and um, our tracking pipeline now has um, to uh, estimate these parameters. And uh, we have, uh, for the shape parameters, we have like, I don't know, 100 uh, parameters and another 100 parameters for the albedo of the face. And um, we solve for these uh, parameters uh, in a real-time uh, optimization uh, using uh, modern GPUs. Okay, but, but stop me if I'm wrong here, but like, let's say we just think about the face for a second and using either the source or the target, we're just worrying about the tracking. So there's, yes. some, there's, a, there's a mask, effectively. I'm going to call it a hockey mask, which is the geometry. There's yeah. the albedo, which is, of course, the directionless light. I mean, it's, it's, it's a sort of an even illumination um, without shadowing, etc. There's, yeah. there's a base kind of spherical harmonic illumination. Um, and then there's whatever expression or pose that face is, has got. Now... As, I'm, as you're going into any individual frame to track it, um, it's, it feels like a chicken and egg problem because if you had the face with the right expression, the right pose, um, mm -hmm. and the right illumination, and the right uh, uh, base albedo on, a, on the geometry that's pulling that expression, then I can imagine lining that up to the person's face. But of course, yes. it's the opposite. You kind of need to line up to find the face to work out all the things I just mentioned, don't you? Yeah, so that's why we uh, tackle the problem with a joint uh, uh, optimization. So um, 
we use the statistical information uh, that we have uh, for faces. So we are based on a data set uh, of 300 scanned faces. And using this statistical information, uh, the problem gets a little bit simpler. And we can um, estimate by the statistics uh, the geometry and uh, the albedo that is most likely um, to be seen in a video. And um, by jointly optimizing for the shape, albedo, and the lighting uh, parameters, we can um, estimate these parameters. So if I was to paraphrase this in kind of very non-technical terms, you kind of have a statistical average face that you try and line yes. up based on what you think is sensible albedo. Like obviously a face tends to have different regions of different color. The lips are obviously, you know, inherently mm -hmm. one thing. And you're estimating or guessing effectively the illumination and, and then trying to fit that to the expression you're getting from the person, which is also being presumably fed by the points that would dictate eyebrows or, or mouths or whatever, right? Yes, that's right. Okay, now let's, let's imagine for a second that that was easy, which it isn't. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I've now got a uh, source or target face tracked. So, yes. so a lot of papers um, just right there would stop and submit to SIDGRAPH, right? We've got a really good tracking mm -hmm. estimation of a face and you would publish a paper that would show a... Uh, uh, a gray or white or even checkerboard mask overlaid on top of our person that you're tracking to show how cleverly you track the face. But of course, yes. you do two more things that are um, almost indistinguishable from magic. The first of them is that uh, you actually get the, the, the hockey mask, the thing that you're sitting on the person's face, to look identical mm -hmm. to their actual face. And then secondly, they inherit the expression of somebody else so so let's deal with the first of those things first so your your expression is going on to my face but nevertheless the hockey mask that's going to go on my face has to look like my face and not only that it has to blend in with my real skin my real neck the real bits that my ears for example that you're not you're not dealing with how do you get it so accurate that i don't notice or see uh, like a big tonal difference between the hockey mask that's sitting on my face that's lining up to my face and my own natural skin. Yeah, um, so based on the, the new uh, tracking, we, we have this uh, photorealistic um, synthetic uh, model and based on this uh, we can synthesize um, new images and um, so we the, the model is uh, a linear Planchet model, so we have um, coefficients that control the expressions. So um, there are parameters, for example, that can open the mouth or uh, lift the eyebrow or something like this. And, well, um, but, but, but before we go there, because that's, that's getting to the expression when we talk about the blend shapes. But I'm just yes. talking about the actual texture, the tonality of the skin, the fact that mm -hmm. it doesn't look like... Because you're not doing a, uh, a synthetic subsurface scattering render of a mask, as I understand yes. it. Oh, you are. You are doing a full uh, 3D... No. 
Okay, right, right, yeah. um, so we have the statistical model um, that uh, estimated uh, the shape of uh, the yep. uh, person and also uh, a, a rough uh, estimate of the albedo. And this allows us to estimate uh, the lighting conditions and using these lighting conditions we can compute a person-specific texture map. So. Um, we use the, the color information that we have of the person and um, build a texture for this one person. And um, so we have all these subtle details like um, a beard, for example. That's not a part of uh, our face model, but, it's, uh, but it can be represented uh, in the texture. Right. So let's say I had... Yeah, as you say, like a, a, a modest amount of facial hair, obviously not a big bushy beard, but a, a modest amount of yeah. facial hair, then you're capturing that as a texture and you're applying it. Now, is that, that texture that you're capturing, is that a composite of a bunch of frames in a kind of photometric sense of sort of... Uh, yes. Right. Okay. So you're building up so, a bit of a collage uh, high quality texture of my face. So if I've got a birthmark, you get the birthmark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's and that goes that goes with this incredibly well tracked hockey mask to put effectively my face back on my face again. And then I guess it's just feathered at the edges, is it? Is it just Yeah. Yes. Blended? It's it's uh blended using pyramid blending. So it's uh, a blending technique that um um blends uh different um um Levels, so uh, we uh, decompose the image in several different uh, resolutions and uh, blend on these different resolutions to get a seamless blend on the highest level. Now, now your work is, as I said, is remarkable. But reading the paper, and I'm just going to quote a part of it, it says. We only assume distant light sources and ignore self-shadowing or indirect light. The irradiance is independent of the vertex position and only depends on the vertex normal and the albedo. So if I was in a room with a strong um, stage light type spotlight, um, I wouldn't get uh, the correct nose shadows going across my cheeks or would I? Uh, You won't. So uh, we neglect uh, shadows and... um we uh, use uh, approximation of uh, environment lighting, so we use these spherical harmonics and we assume a, a diffuse Lambertian surface. So we have no specular highlights uh, that we can synthesize. So if there are specular highlights uh, on the face, we would um, bake it into the texture map. Right. But if I'm now, now I should point out if I, if I was to jump before I finish this, I'll, I'll come back. But if I was to jump to the end and say an application of this, it would be say me in an office with a computer doing video conferencing, for example. In which case, yes. it's not unreasonable that my specular highlights aren't going to fly around. It's not. It's also completely reasonable. I'm not going to be lit by a 10k spotlight on a stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the yeah. kind of ambient office illumination in fact, suits what you just described very well, doesn't it? Yeah. So all the, the video uh, footage that is online that's uh, in, in a normal office, so we don't have any special uh, light conditions. 
and um, as you can see, it it works kind of well. Yeah, no, it works very well. Okay, so now let's get, let's finish our um, <laughs> our walk through this in in simplistic terms. I know, apologize about simplifying your work so much. So so we've now got the hockey mask. We've now got the texture on the hockey mask. And as I said, the second thing that you do that is uh, near magic is you take your expression, your mouth opening, and even though my face, which is of course, you know, the target, doesn't have the smile, doesn't have the mouth open, you miraculously produce this moving footage of my head in real time with my mouth doing what your mouth is puppeteering. So that gets back to what you are mentioning a moment ago, right, which must be a blend-shaped type kind of model? Yes, um, that's right. So um, we have these reconstructed faces and now we have the control over these faces. So uh, using the blend-shaped coefficients of the source actor, we can just copy these uh, coefficients and apply them to the model of the target actor. And then uh, we can use this blending technique to composite a real-looking uh, image. So it's a kind of a morphable model with a blend shape base. Is this got a fax component in in some sense? Is it? Uh, it um, yeah, it's uh, in a sense a fax uh, model. So uh, we have um, some uh, big motions uh, in it. So we have uh, seventy six uh, blend shapes. Right. And so, so yeah. you're assuming that I'm not going to go off model because you don't go off model, because if, you, if your face can do it, it's reasonable that my face could do it. Yeah. Okay, so now, now apart from the fact this is all happening in real time, which I think is remarkable, um, so, so the system has to solve a couple of problems in doing this, and I'm just going to discuss, if I can, two of them. The first is the mouth. In the discussion I just mentioned, you open your mouth, but my mouth isn't open, so you have to open my mouth. Of course... Opening my mouth is only half the problem. It's it's what should be revealed inside my mouth that's the, the, the sort of central hub. And here you solve that. So even though my mouth is closed, when your digital hockey mask of my overlaid self opens its mouth, you will see teeth and the inside of my actual mouth. How do you do that? Yes. Um, we um, did that uh, in... Um so we use a teeth proxy model. So it's a, a 3D model of a teeth. But not um, my not my actual teeth, just a sort of a generalized yes. model? That's a generalized model. Okay. So um, everybody has these uh, good-looking white teeth. <laughs> and um, we use a, a static um, screenshot of... of um, the mouth interior of uh, the target actor. So, ah, so I would open my mouth. See. I would open my mouth so you got my actual mouth. Yes, but you're using generic teeth. Yes. Okay. So we have this um, texture for the mouth that we can now warp into the 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 hole that uh, uh, is there, and on top of this, we overlay the teeth model and on top of the teeth model we render the complete face okay so now so that makes sense you, you're giving me effectively a mouth and you're giving me teeth so that you know you can um not have to have me sort of somehow miraculously have my teeth scanned and and in the system um 
if you were using this in the example that I hinted at earlier of some kind of video conferencing where I'm puppeteering or somebody is puppeteering me in a different language, so I'm speaking and a real-time translator is is saying the words and those words are mapped to my face, you wouldn't mm-hmm. get the tongue movement, would you? So ideally no. you'd want them to sort of mumble a bit or at least... <laughs> You'd so we don't have any on. control over the tongue. So uh, I think the tongue is really complicated to yeah. track. So um, it, the most of the time it's occluded or um, yes, I don't know how, how, how you could really efficiently um, estimate or uh, represent uh, such a... Um, yeah, such a complex non- thing, yeah. So complex thing. So that's uh, really an interesting uh, problem. I mean, I guess in one sense, if you could do a um, phonem uh, or kind of, you know, like mouth expression um, space, there could be assumptions as to what tongues do to say certain sounds. And presumably, if you're hearing the sounds because you're recording at the, uh, uh, you know, the person that's actually doing the, the puppeteering, you could, yes. I guess, uh, have some kind of generic, as you do with the teeth, some sort of predetermined generic mm-hmm. uh, thing. But that's okay because, uh, I mean, you know, as I say, I, I'm not. Uh, it, it works remarkably well even as it is at the moment. But, but that idea of putting the teeth in and, and doing the mouth uh, provides an enormous amount of flexibility with smiles and everything else. I've obviously watched the videos that you've published, but I'm not sure that in those videos I see someone actually talking. Is the fidelity and the latency uh, sharp enough that you can actually sort of lip sync somebody else or is it still um, a little hard to actually lip sync words, real words? So um, in the live setups, um, we have a, a slight delay introduced by the camera and our um, pipeline. So um, there it's really hard to have uh, this lip sync. And if you, if you use it for uh, teleconferencing, you have somehow have to compensate this delay. So, um, but the delay, the delay is still, I mean, because I've seen the videos, the delay is, uh, is a very small latency. We're talking like a frame or two, which is not yeah. un... Unex- that's not an unacceptable frame delay in video conferencing. Mm-hmm. I often talk to people yeah. on the phone and there's at least a, you know, it feels like a quarter second delay. Yeah. Um, it um, wouldn't work obviously if you're in the same room because I would be hearing the source and the target and they'd be seeing mm-hmm. them both at the same time. But on video conferencing, I would have thought you could have got around that. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. But um, if you have a person that um, talks really fast, um, then the camera can capture uh, the motions of the lips. So um, I think this is one of the uh, major problems that we have, that the camera is only uh, like 30 hertz. Yep. And um, this uh, could be a problem. So, um, yeah. Now, let's move to the eyes. So if I'm not mistaken, you're capturing um, quite detailed facial um Maps. I think you're capturing effectively 2K, aren't you? Like uh, the the map, the the actual face is quite a a high resolution. Yeah. But mm-hmm. but we still have this incredibly clever trick you guys do to add what I'm going to call crow's feet or the wrinkles that would happen around the eyes. 
very characteristic in a smile, for example, to see mm-hmm. those um, eye uh, wrinkles. And in fact, you know, if we go back to uh, the research of Paul Ecton and, and, and uh, the original facts stuff, getting the eyes and those wrinkles around the eyes and stuff to all be accurate is a, is a key part of a believable performance. So mm-hmm. you actually have a wrinkle level detail transfer, correct? Yes, um, we are doing this on uh, the image space, so uh, we use the wrinkles, so the high frequency detail of the source actor and uh, project it onto the target actor. So the wrinkles are from the source actor and not from the target actor. Right, so if if you laugh and you cause wrinkles around your eyes, I would inherit those, but I wouldn't necessarily be smiling. Of course, once you transfer that pose to my face, my face is smiling, and so therefore Mm -hmm. the wrinkles sort of go where they should go. Yes, Um, but um, I think that's also one step uh, for the future that we uh, somehow um, synthesize the wrinkles of the target actor. So um, what we just do is copying the wrinkles from the source actor to the target actor and it somehow looks uh, really uh, good but um, it's not the these are not the wrinkles of the target actor and if you know the person um, (laughs) you will see that. So now one of the things I'm curious about is let's say that we have again going to our original um, sort of a case you're puppeteering me which is fine so uh, obviously um, you're the source and I'm the target if the source opens their eyes because they're surprised but the target doesn't open their eyes very much because I'm in a neutral pose as I understand it the final thing that we'd be looking at the composite image is my original eyes and so how do you get around the fact that you want to open the eyes and see more of the whites of the eyes because you're the source and I just am not doing that because I'm in my relaxed neutral position. Yeah, that's that's also a, an open problem that we have so um, we just keep the eyes of the target actor and um, overlay the, the hockey mask and so um, yeah, so that's a problem that we are facing in the future. So, so the blend point is not eyelid. It's not like I'm inheriting the the digital eyelid and the digital bottom eyelid. In fact, I'm keeping my eye original eyeball and my original what eyelashes and top lid mm-hmm. and bottom lid. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. that's what we are doing. Okay, so if you wanted to go completely bug-eyed. Uh, as um, you know, somebody that's puppeteering me, in fact, uh, you wouldn't get all of that performance coming through because mm-hmm. if you were super surprised and had your eyes wide, wide open, uh, you would still not cause my new version to be quite as extreme in that pose. I'd get, you know, maybe the eyebrows, but not the, the full eyes. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so again, in the normal situation where somebody is talking on like a video conferencing setup, that's unlikely to happen and is a and not a major issue. But um, but again, uh, it's just working out the sort of parameters of where and and what exactly that you're doing. So um, so okay, so we've got the system running and it's now running uh, as we said in real time. So this is something that you've really optimized for a GPU, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So we do all of uh, the optimization, so the tracking uh, stage is everything is on the GPU and also the, uh, the compositing. So what is happening in the calibration stage? I read in your notes in your paper that there is a, a couple of minute calibration stage at the beginning of the uh, exercise. What, what is that calibration for? What is it calibrating? So uh, the calibration stage is uh, not like minutes. It's uh, like, I don't know, five seconds. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. It's um, moving uh, the, the head in a neutral pose so that we can uh, estimate the um, shape parameters and the albedo parameters. That's uh, done in this calibration stage. And uh, when the calibration uh, stage uh, stops, we generate... Uh, the person-specific texture. So uh, we pick um, several frames from this calibration stage and uh, blend together a high-quality texture map. So tell me what happens if there's a lighting change in the room, the sun goes behind a cloud. Do I stay with my original texture or is that an updating um, kind of texture? Um, so the texture uh, stays uh, static after uh, the calibration stage, but um, after the calibration stage, we uh, still um, estimate the lighting conditions. So um, if the lighting uh, changes, we um, compute the new lighting situation and we can synthesize uh, the corresponding um, image out of it. Right, so if there was a sort of dominant slight left to right and I turn my head that illumination will be reflected even though the base albedo remains the same yeah okay great um, and so I guess uh, just sort of in broad terms when did the system first get um, you know get did it get uh, fully working because I mean you're presenting this at SIDGRAPH Asia how, how long has this been in research and when did it get uh, um, so um, I started, so I'm in a second year, so I'm a PhD student here at the computer graphics lab in uh, Erlang and um, I started uh, with this project in my uh, master's thesis, so there was the topic to reconstruct uh, the face using an RGBD sensor and um, then we continued uh, this project in the last year and we got this out of it and um yeah so talk to me about the team then that's uh that's on this because there are obviously uh at least i think six of you on the paper um but yes. this is primarily your phd work yeah that's primarily my uh, phd work I mean, you're, and... you're the first you're the lead uh, author on the paper of course yes and um so um, the other two authors, so Michael Solhofer and Matthias Niesner, are also students from uh, the University of Erlangen-Nürnberg. So um, that's uh, the core team that um, built up the system. And so I, I did the implementation and all this stuff. And um, the other people are... Um, Levi Velgers and Christian Theobald. These are, uh, are researchers from the Max Planck Institute. Um, and Mark Stamminger, uh, one of my uh, supervisor 
supervising professors. Right, but Matisse is at Stanford. Did I mis mishear that? Yes, uh, he's he's uh, since um, um, 2013. He's uh, now in Stanford. And uh, Michael Solhofer is now at the MPI in uh, South Britain. Well, to have this published at this level um, in your second year of your PhD, I hope they don't make you do a third year to your PhD. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we, are, we are actually also, uh, already working on follow-up papers. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, because this seems to be um, a very good system. Talk to me um, about the RGBD cameras. Clearly, these have been widely used um, since uh, a, a large amount of research has been done using them. Mm -hmm. They are off-the-shelf items, but not something we typically find in a laptop. This sort um, of work that you're doing must be stuff that, if it was to appear as standard in either a tablet or a laptop, I mean, the, 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 your, your sort of work effectively is pushing the industry to adopt an RGBD rather than RGB cameras in these devices because there's so much you can do with that extra um, facilitated depth. Yes, uh, that's true. But uh, if you uh, see the new products uh, out there, for example, uh, the RealSense technology from Intel, yep. they already built uh, laptops with these uh, RGBD sensors and also uh, they have smartphones or tablets. And this is uh, an amazing uh, step towards uh, this technology and we think that uh, we can then work on... Um, other projects that bring these uh, techniques we pres present here in the paper to uh, like a smartphone or a tablet or something like this. And, and the volumes that those RGBD cameras are inherently sort of set up for are the kind of volumes that would have a face sitting in front of a laptop. In other words, these are cameras that are pretty much designed for that volume in front of a screen, yes. not, not the whole room, not a hall. Um, so mm -hmm. your work is absolutely in the sort of central sweet spot of what these cameras are kind of set up to do. Yes. Um, so, uh, again, uh, you know, incredibly great work, and I'm sure it's had a really good reaction, though you must be aware that some people find, <laughs> find this a little creepy because of some of the ethical issues involved, and I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on this. You, you must have thought about some of the... Uh, the ethical issues here. Yes, uh, we did. And um, so, if you have a look uh, what happens in the last years, so you you already have problems to uh, um, decide if a, a photograph is real or it's a fake. So uh, most of the the images we see are photoshopped or uh, any uh, manipulations uh, are done there so um, we, we did uh, the step to, uh, to the videos that we can manipulate videos and um, so this is uh, something that the people have to uh, take care of in the future that um, you can't trust any media uh, that you uh, see in the internet or in the TV and yeah so, so what's the sort of resolution that you've been able to operate given that you need to use an RGBD camera? What is, like, 
sort of so, around eight days. Um, so we do the the cameras here uh, capture videos with six forty times four eighty. Right. And um, as I said, the the tracking stage is based on a pixel level. So we try to optimize every pixel, uh, and so it's. Uh, the runtime depends highly on the number of pixels. So if you have a high resolution image, you won't get uh, the 30 hertz. So um, that's something um, you, ha you have to keep in mind. So uh, for the tracking stage, uh, you have then to uh, downsample the image and uh, track the face on a low resolution. But uh, for the output, you can use uh, the high resolution. So uh, that uh, would work. So one of the examples that you give away from puppeteering, if I can use that expression, is the idea of somebody using it for real-time makeup in the sense that you give the example of putting um, you know, a uh, motif or whatever, a logo, on someone's face while they're talking, and of course it moves correctly with their face because it's just tracked on. I would have thought the much more obvious, much bigger um, uh, case would be that of anti-aging because I would have thought that a huge advantage of this is literally that your webcam makes you look a bit younger and a bit better. Yeah, that's, that's also a use case for Because your sure. example of, of adding you know, crow's feet, uh, wrinkles to my face... Mm. Uh, is great, but I think a lot of people would say, why bother adding the wrinkles? Why, uh, <laughs> why not film me and put my own face back on myself, but take off age spots, wrinkles, uh, those characteristics that would make us um, at a texture level look older. But then I would mm -hmm. go one step further and say, if we're adding this mask, I should be able to actually change the face to have uh, properties that make it slightly more youthful, in other words, uh, less baggy cheeks, slightly lift in the, under the eyes, shouldn't I? Yeah, um, but um, you, we also, as I said, we have details in the texture, so um, you have to somehow manipulate the texture to uh, filter out um, small wrinkles, and um, if you can do this, then this is... Um, like well, a really cool application. That you well, can my, use. my friend, I would just suggest that if you had a button that said, hey, make me look a bit younger, this is going to take a moment, and then from the rest of the video conference, <laughs> I'm going to look younger. A lot of people yeah. are reaching for that button before they, uh, before they make the phone call. <laughs> um, yeah. So, again, congratulations on really outstanding work. Now, you're presenting this. Do you know when you're presenting it at uh, SIDGRAPH Asia? Uh, what day? Or? Um, it's on Tuesday. In the phases session. Well, uh, I think this is a remarkable piece of work and uh, obviously something that I've been tracking and we've been tracking for a while because it, it, it's been kind of an evolving area and each year at SIDGRAPH uh, it seems to be one. But this does seem to be like a monumental uh, step um, in, that, uh, in that same direction and one that I think uh, caught a lot of people off guard. So congratulations and thanks for taking time to talk to us. Thank you very much. Well, that was great, Mike, and uh, I really, uh, like we said at the beginning, it's just something else, the whole, the whole tech, and it was interesting to hear him describe it. Yeah. Also, I just want to point out that just as who we were talking to, um, he, he's great. If you get the SIDGRAPH paper, the PDF, he's the guy on the immediate left. If you are watching the video, uh, I think it's the second pair of guys that appear. 
Um, he's the guy in the sweat, uh, like the kind of brown sweatshirt thing on camera left. He's with the uh, the woman. I think that's the second couple up in the video. The first two guys um, uh, are up for like a minute or so. And then at about the one minute mark or 30 seconds, 45 second mark, it swaps over. And so the person we're talking to is in fact, uh, you can see him himself having his face manipulated uh, in the video, as I said, about 40 seconds in. And uh, what a great guy. Congratulations to him and the rest of the team. Enormous amount of interest. The thing I'm like really glad about though, Jeff, is a lot of people when this came out posted it on blogs saying, oh my God, you can't trust video anymore. Look what they're doing. But I was really glad to actually be able to get time to sit down with him and work out how they were doing it rather than just, hey, isn't this cool? Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, the one thing I, I noticed was that the, the, the female model had such identifiable teeth that I kept waiting for that to be a problem with the, with the fake teeth, you know, the, uh, mm -hmm. but even I never noticed even that, so. Yeah, I mean, you don't tend to open your mouth that much. I mean, you do show your teeth a little. Yeah. Um, That's uh, true. But yeah, so anyway, I, I think it's really valid. Um, it's, it's a remarkable kind of um, uh, piece of tech and uh, just once again shows the kind of uh, really innovative stuff that researchers uh, present. If you can look through the SIDGRAPH papers and find you know, some of those gems that are relevant, they are knock your socks off. Because, I mean, if you'd seen this in a TV show, I'd have been like, yeah, right. And Mission yeah, Impossible, Yeah, yeah, this right? is one of those really? things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is one of those things you'd be like, take too far, you know? Not, yeah. not a chance. Not a chance, yeah. And here it is running in real time for real. So, yeah. Jeff, yeah. Um, it's been great talking to you, my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah, same here. We've... Uh, Got a lot of movies coming out right now, so I'm sure the uh, uh, some of the other podcasts we do, like the VFX show, is bustling right now. I'm sure there's it's a big big season right now. Yeah, there's something to do with wars and stars and something coming up. Oh. That'd be good. Wow. Yeah, I spent a lot of time working on tickets and stuff for that. Did you get tickets that night? Yeah, I got two different. I got I finally got an LA show, and I've got some over the holidays too. So there's just a lot of stuff going on. Catching up on a lot of stuff that I've missed over the year. I, we we just. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff that's been finally coming out on video now that missed over the last year or so. Well, so if I can, if good. I can uh, steer you towards it, you might want to check out class three of background fundamentals and some of the stuff happening over at uh, FX PhD because it's all the stuff we were shooting in Sweden at, you know, a thousand, oh, fifteen hundred frames a second. So I'm so anxious to see that stuff. Yeah, the um, pretty cool. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. The um, that shoot sounded amazing. Phantom that high Flex, speed stuff. Phantom Flex 4K with not one, not two, but three motion control rigs from Mark Roberts Motion Control and the guys at Stiller Studios. I had a good time. Anyway, and yeah, and that's the high speed motion control stuff too, right? Oh yeah, like it's like the rigs yeah. move at like five meters per second, and you're shooting yeah. at fifteen hundred frames a second. So basically, you pull back five meters, and that's all in a second of real time standing there and somebody does something but literally one second of it is 60 seconds of playback so think about that for a second half a second is your whole tvc done thanks for playing <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah. it's a little data did you a little bit of data <laughs> i think i had yeah. to go to the apple store and buy two large drives to um to copy stuff on to bring it back it's already had one mm. with me right i did another two yeah but uh, we wow. did 4K on everything, and uh, we also shot with the uh, Epic. So we were shooting stuff on um, green screen with the Epic, and we were outside with the um, the Flex uh, 4Ks from uh, Love High Speed, and those guys are great. It was a really good good time. Anyway, all of that opening over at uh, FX PhD. Jeff, yeah, I'm new term, right? Sorry? Cool. Yeah, and the new term's just starting. New term's just started, yep. yep. Um, I'm going to keep going, my friend. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode. For uh, Mike and myself and John Montgomery, we'll see you on the next podcast. Yes.
please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.